Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it as I said, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome, David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad you're here today. I have a very important subject in which to talk about, and it is restoration, restoring people when they fall. Um, I have a good friend of mine, Brother Dave Howes. Good morning, Brother Dave. How are you? Good morning. Glad to be here with you this morning. How are things at the Red Barn? Everything is good here. We're beautiful time of year and busy as always. Awesome. I'll tell you the story how Dave and I got started in this. Uh, Dave and I were friends from the Sunday school. He would travel and help churches organize our Sunday school, and he did us. It was a great help. And then I had a friend of mine that went through a hard time. He was assistant pastor, and uh, he and his wife went through some things, and he fell, and he fell hard, and uh, they were not going to make it. And I did not, I couldn't settle in myself that they're going to be divorced and, and their marriage isn't going to go forward. So I called with the Dave and I said, hey, is there any way we can help this guy? And it's funny, as a matter of fact, what happened, my friend had contacted a former friend of his that he knew had fallen and say, hey, man, can you help me? I'm in a rough place. And that friend said, well, I can some, but honestly, you need to call Dave Hiles. He helped me. He restored my wife and I's marriage, and he can help you. So at the same time, I was calling Dave to say, hey, can we help my friend? My friend is calling Dave and saying, hey, can you help me? And we got to work together with them behind the scenes and help put life back together and marriage back together, family back together. And that's been 15 to 20 years ago. The marriage is doing great. Life is doing great. And uh, we've been able to help, who knows, hundreds of people be restored through this ministry. Brother Dave, tell us about the ministry there, the name and how we got started and officially what you guys are doing. Well, we call our ministry, ministry Fallen in Grace, and the concept of that came from the fact that you can't fall from grace when you're a believer. You can only fall into grace, and that's what people do not realize when they fall. They're falling into the grace of God if they'll just allow the grace of God 
to take over in their life. And so we help people. Uh, we do two things predominantly. First of all, we help the person who has fallen, and especially love to help preachers, pastors, but others as well, leaders in, in, in the church. And uh, the second thing we do is we train people on how to restore the fallen. We do workshops and seminars and uh, try to help pastors understand how they can restore the fallen and how to lead their church to be a restoration church. Wow, that is awesome. Uh, so jump into it. Who should be restored? Who are the people that we should uh, try to restore? If any man <clears throat> be overtaken in a fault, there's no qualification given. The Bible tells us that if anyone falls, that we are required to restore them. So I believe every person, no matter what the situation can be and should be restored, if at all possible. I'm teaching a series <clears throat> on the minor prophets. And one of the things about God is we see constantly that God, when he threatens judgment, always offers mercy. God isn't sometimes judgmental and sometimes merciful. God is always merciful, even when he is judging. He wants repentance, and that's why he sent prophets to warn Israel and Judah that they needed to repent or judgment would come. So God wants everyone who has fallen to be restored. Well, you mentioned earlier you love to help pastors when they fall. Um, shouldn't they know better? I mean, why are we helping them? I mean, they, they know better. They preached this and taught this, and why should we help them? Yes, they should know better. And so should every layman, every believer. A pastor's fall is more consequential to people around him and himself, but he is no different than anyone else that falls. And I think sometimes we judge a pastor by a different spiritual standard, not a leadership standard, but a spiritual standard. A deacon, a layman who falls, must be take responsibility. So a pastor should know better. But pastors are flesh. They are sinners. And the best of us is no better than the worst of us, even if we have a title of pastor next to our name. So why should we restore them? What's the purpose? Why should we restore somebody when they fall? Well, first of all, because we're commanded to. And that's really the only necessary reason is because God says, restore such an one. Because God loves them. Because they still have a purpose for life, God still wants to use them. And I think we see throughout Scripture that it was oftentimes the restored person who did more for God than the person be than before they sinned, before they fell. So God sees the big picture. We only see the small picture. So when we restore someone, we're saying, God, they're yours. We're obeying you. We don't know your purpose for them, but we're going to let you do what you can with the life they still have to live. So we talked about restoring people, bad sinners, even preachers. Um, how many Christians are fallen and don't even realize it? From Revelation 2 that says, you know, repent from uh, um, 
uh, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. How many Christians are falling Christians? They're sitting in judgment over somebody else and don't realize that they are wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked themselves. Well, a lot of times we think of falling as being, uh, falling into some kind of sin. Um, and the Bible says, if a man be overtaken in a fault. Now, a fault is not necessarily a sin. A fault is something that leads to a sin. And that sin may be immorality, or it may be quitting church. It, does, it, it may be one of the two. I, I love to tell, we talk about the prodigal son, but there's three stories in Luke chapter 15. The first is the, the um, wandering lamb. Lambs don't rebel, they wander, and they wander off. Well, there's a lot of fallen Christians that have wandered off. They're gone. They're out in the world somewhere, but they're still valuable to God. The second parable is the lost coin. Now, coins don't wander. And coins don't rebel. Coins just get lost. And sometimes people, they, we don't see their value and we lose them because we didn't value them. So we must value people enough to go after them when they have fallen or when they have been lost. Uh, I had a Sunday school teacher two years after I had been there and actually gone to a different church, called me and said, I haven't seen you lately. And I said, yeah, it's been specifically two years, but thanks for calling. You know, uh, I, I was... I wasn't, I was in church, but to him, I was lost, but he didn't value me enough to notice. I think probably there was a campaign to get people back. And the third were the ones that rebel, that go into sin and rebel. So all three were people that were overtaken by faults, but all three are given value. So we're supposed to go after anyone who has been overtaken in a fault, whether it be wandering whether it be the loss of value, we didn't value them and we misplaced them, or whether it be they rebelled and went to sin. Now, I know the, the parable of the prodigal we talk about, the father did not go after them. Should other people have gone after them? Or what would you say to that? The father did not go after, he had to wait till the son came home. Well, I think the father did a couple of very important things. I think you'll see in that story. First of all, he let the son go. God is not going to force us to stay, but he made it very clear that he was going to be there when he came back. In other words, the father was still in the same place waiting for him when he came back. So there are times when people rebel, they go off into sin, and we have to, we have to let them go. But we also have to make sure they understand that we are there wanting them to come back and waiting for them to come back and ready to accept them back. And uh, this question was later on, but I think it fits now. So what about if they're not ready to be restored? What about if they don't want to be restored? What about if they're not repentant? Um, what about uh, someone like that? Well, let's, let's look at the scripture. Galatians 6.1, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. All right, so... The Bible doesn't say if a man be overtaken in a fault and is repentant. It doesn't say if a man be overtaken in a fault and confesses his sin, openly confesses his sin, comes before the church, admits what he's done. The Bible says if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Now, let me give you an illustration of that. Here's someone that was driving too fast. Okay. Well, last year, year or so ago, Tiger Woods was in a terrible car accident apparently driving too fast, apparently being careless, okay? And I don't think the first responder showed up, and the first thing they said was, now, if you're repentant, 
for how you were driving, we can help you. If you admit that you were speeding, we can help you. Fact of the matter is that wasn't their responsibility. Their responsibility was to do the be, be refer, first responders, to be there to love or and care and make sure that it, that that physically he was okay. So we are to begin the process of restoration before a person repents, because it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. We 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 like to. We like to beat up sinners sometimes when in reality, sin's beating them up already. So what we want to do is be the first responder to let them know we love them. Are they ready? No. Was was David repentant when Nathan came to him? <laughs> no, David hadn't even admitted to himself what he had done. But Nathan came to him, and that was offering him the opportunity to repent. And I think the big difference between David and Saul was when Samuel approached Saul, he approached him willing, I think, to restore him, but Saul wasn't willing to receive it, whereas David was. So we begin, even sometimes before, maybe weeks, months, years before they're ready, they're broken, they're hurt, they're suffering consequences. So we're supposed to love them, show them that, help to, to be there for them, comfort them, and then when they're ready to be restored, they can be restored because we've already begun the process. That's really good. I think so many times people say, well, even good-hearted people, I don't know what to say. And and I'm pretty hard on them and think it's a cop-out because to me, it's very simple. But um, if they knew, if they just did that, if they just reached out, if they just showed them that they cared, uh, you know, the story, and I'll let you finish it, but um, men in our town, the pastor of the big church, the Southern Baptist Church in town, was in the newspaper, and it was a bad story. I mean, think about bad, keep going. It, it was bad. And um, I knew who he was. We weren't close, but uh, found his address, went over to his house, knocked on his door. His wife came to the door and uh, I said, is so-and-so home? Uh, my name's David Baker, is so-and-so home? And she said, yes, hold on. And he came to the door and uh, he invited me in. We sat down and all I told him was, hey, God loves you and God has a plan for you. I don't know what happened and I don't need to know what happened. I just wanted to come by and let you know God loves you and God cares about you. And the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And as a friend, if I can help you or do anything for you, let me know. Thank you. And I was done. That was all I was going to say. Uh, a lot of people are looking for gossip and want the response. And and um, and and I was done. Well, he went on to tell me the story of what happened, what really happened, not what the newspaper said. And um, and I connected him with Dave. And then Dave was able to help him. And uh, he was restored. And Dave will tell you the rest of it. But I got one of the most amazing messages. He said, when I fell, and we're in a town, we're, we're Southern Baptist town. There's 50, I think, 40-something Southern Baptist churches in our county. And he said, myself and one other preacher who wasn't in their group were the only two people that contacted him and helped him. And uh, he said, you have no idea how much you probably saved my life and ministry and family and everything because you you cared. And so it's so easy to do that. And I didn't know if he was repentant. I didn't know if he was ready. I didn't know the story. I didn't need to know. Um, and so they tell the rest of his story. And then to the question, how do we restore someone? How do we go to start to be able to help them? Well, first of all, when he contacted me, we began to communicate some. Uh, basically, he was ready for someone to help him, but no one was willing to help him. Uh, you know, we we often hear people, independent Baptists say, 
uh, the independent Baptists are the only ones that shoot their wounded. Well, I'm restoring some Southern Baptist people right now. And would you like to know what they say? The Southern Baptists are the only people that shoot their wounded. And you know what the Bible church people say? The Bible church people are the only ones that shoot their wounded. The bottom line is we typically don't shoot the people we don't know that have fallen. I mean, we're the harshest to our own. And I think every group is that way. So we're all by nature unmerciful. And we have to have that mercy, blessed, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Well, he went on and God has blessed him and used him. He is pastoring again. He's been here, uh, visited with, with us, I think twice, written a book on restoration. And the last time I spoke with him, it was over 80 diff different preachers that he had restored himself. So God used his life to restore. But I think the first thing, when I deal with people that have fallen, is um, I have to get to the fault, the fault line. Uh, and, and this is a long subject, so it's going to be impossible in, in one podcast to explain it. But the Bible doesn't say if a man be overtaken in a sin. It says if a man be overtaken in a fault. So typically, there's a weakness in our life. That's why the Bible tells us to confess our faults one to another. Now, here's the mistake that takes place in the church. We want everybody to get up and confess their sins. I don't trust you with my sins, and you better not trust me. Because we're not supposed to tell each other our sins. We're supposed to tell each other our faults. Because that's what strengthens us, is when I say to someone, I have a fault line. And that fault line could lead to an earthquake in my life. So the first thing we try to do is not find out what the sin is, but find out what the fault is. Then we try to deal with the consequences because sin brings consequences. And a lot of times we're harsh about the consequences. You know, parents thinking of a couple that called me and said, what are we going to do? Our daughter's pregnant. And they were more concerned that she was pregnant than she had been immoral. And I said, the problem isn't that she's pregnant. That's a consequence. So don't turn the, make the consequence into some kind of, of, of terrible thing. I said, accept the consequence. Go through the consequence with her and welcome that baby while dealing with the fault that led her to commit the sin. And, 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 there, and there, we, we tried to pinpoint what, what fault was in this young lady that led her to become immoral to the point where she got pregnant. So we deal with the consequences. We deal with the fault. We don't deal with the cause of the fault because then we find blame. We'll start blaming, well, my parents did this, so I had this fault. Well, you know, you've got the fault. We all have them can blame or we can deal with the fault. And then we deal with the fault. We can avoid the sin overtaking us, but when it does, then we deal with the consequences. So it, it's complex. But another thing that I often try to get people to do, and this is the toughest one. When someone falls, I'm dealing with a guy, a pastor, Southern Baptist pastor, who fell. He fell hard and, and, and it was scandalous. And he said to me, like so many people say, I just can't forgive myself. And I said, well, nobody can forgive themselves. Nobody should forgive themselves. How in the world could you forgive yourself? The truth of the matter is that's self. The way that you get forgiveness is you accept forgiveness by faith. I can't save myself either. That's why I can't forgive myself. I, I sinned against God. And so we come to God and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I'm no, no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And then let God 
restore all of those things in our life that he wants to give to us. So we don't have to forgive ourselves. We have to confess our sin to the father so that he can forgive us. Wow. That is so big. And yes, uh, it'd be good to do a podcast sometime just on the fault and helping people with that. How many people never deal with the fault? And so now the sin continues and goes on and on and on because we never went back and to see that that root or that fault, uh, what the real problem is. That seems like that happens so many times. On a side note, um, in we've done some uh, restoration workshops. And in 2023, uh, we're going to do four in the spring. And they're going to be one day workshops. So we'll be announcing the dates soon, but they'll go from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and we'll be covering a lot of these things, just intense one-day seminars, and we'll be giving some more information about that very soon. Awesome. So, David, why don't more Christians and pastors restore people? It seems like that there's a dearth of people who actually are trying to help others when they fall. It doesn't seem like there's a shortage of people condemning them, uh, but it does seem like there's a shortage of people trying to restore and pick them up. I know the people that I've called and worked with, and they say I'm the only person or one of only two people that called and tried to help them when they fell. Um, why is that? Well, the same reason why when we hear of someone that goes through a tragedy, a loss of, of life, we sometimes avoid contacting because we don't know what to say. That's a beginning point. And my attitude is always, you, you'd say, I love you. I'm here for you. If there's anything I can do, I want you to know I'm here to help you in any way I can. And if I can't help you, I'll point you to someone that will help you. So I think it's important that we, um, uh, we first of all, deal with the fact that um, we got to just be there for them in some way. I think the second reason is because of peer pressure. Uh, I, I especially think this is true with pastors. Pastors are afraid that other pastors, and I, I think I'll address this again later, but pastors are more concerned about what other people think of how they're handling situations than they ought to be. And then the bottom line is we go back to Galatians 6.1, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. We mistake the idea of being a good Christian, which is nowhere in the Bible. I don't even know what the definition of being a good Christian is. That's kind of selfish. I want to be defined as a good Christian. Why would I want to be defined as a good Christian? For self-edification? No, I want to be spiritual. Spiritual is how we respond. It's not how we're thought of. It's how we respond. Now, you may be thought of as being spiritual. But you aren't, we shouldn't worry about being a good Christian. One of my sisters came to my dad one day and said, uh, Dad, uh, how can I be a, a good wife? And my dad said, well, that's the most selfish thing I've ever heard in my life. And she was like, what? I want to be a good wife. He said, you should have asked me, how can I make my husband happy? How can I make my husband happy? And stop worrying about whether you're a good wife. We want the label of something. I want to be a good something. Well, ye which are spiritual. Well, the whole context of Galatians 6 comes from Galatians 5. What is it? What's it all about? It's walking in the spirit. It's being spiritual in your response to other people. That's what it really is, which means you're spiritual when someone falls. And it's interesting. We're talking about the fruit of the spirit and a particular fruit of the spirit then is mentioned. And it says, 
in humility, in humility. So we're supposed to humble ourselves in order to restore. If any man be overtaken a fault, you which are spiritual or source such a one in the spirit of humbleness and humility and the meekness, I should say, I'm sorry, but meekness, which is the same thing as humility. So what we have to do is recognize that if we're spiritual, we will restore because that's our spirit. It's what it's who we are because we're walking in the spirit and it's what he wants. See, I don't do what I want. I had someone ask me this question, forgive the long answer to this question, but I think it's important about a particular man that fell that was one of my enemies, hated me, hated me, and tried to destroy me. And he said, he asked me this question. He said, if he were to contact you and ask you to restore him, would you do it? And I answered very honestly. And I said, oh, I don't want to, but I would, because he needs to be, because God would want him to be restored. Yes, I would. Now, my flesh doesn't want to, but my spirit wants to. Because my flesh wants what's best for me, but my spirit wants what's best for God. So that's where, that's why people don't restore. The bottom line, if you don't restore, you're not spiritual. That's good. How many people have you seen that wouldn't help restore someone or condemn somebody when they fell, but yet before long they needed to be restored themselves? We've had, uh, we've had them come here. I mean, there was a pastor who condemned me. And they fell. And the first person he wanted to talk to when he fell was me. He felt I could help him. And he came here and, and, and we loved him. We loved on him. We helped him. Had a pastor a couple of months ago, several months ago here, who said, you know, I didn't know what to think when I found out I was coming to see you. But he said, I, I, I didn't care. I didn't care. I, I, I knew that you would help me. You could help me. And so it's amazing um, that Sometimes God allows us to help the very people. I've had people send people here to be helped who wouldn't even have anything to do with me before beforehand. But they found, they had someone they loved and they felt I could help them. So they let me. It is amazing that verse we've quoted parts of it. But the last part of it is <laughs> uh, to restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. It's amazing how when we are not spiritual, trying to restore somebody else, um, that we end up being the next one because in pride, we're putting them down, lifting ourselves up instead of looking at somebody that fell and go, wow, he fell. I could fall. I could do that too. And, and if we look at it in humility, that that could be me, I need to help him. How much does that help it not to become us? Because we realize it could be us and we're in the process of restoring instead of the process of condemning. Well, and, and the fact is, the Bible says you're overtaken in a fault. <clears throat> it's typically people who are running a race that are overtaken. My dad said this often. He said, you can't overtake someone who's standing still. So Satan is chasing after the people who are running. And even those who are running have faults. Everyone has faults. So therefore, we're no better than anyone else. It's just that Satan managed to, to outrun and overtake someone who was running the race but fell. So I think it's important for us to recognize that. That's good. You mentioned your dad. Um, your dad has been criticized on how he restored people. Um, how would you answer that? Oh, simple. Number one, you don't people, the people that criticize him don't know the truth. They don't know the story. 
what a pastor does and how he deals with something is his business. It's not the business of other preachers. Um, the, the, he, the, the thing that's interesting is nobody knows the whole story. They only know the story that someone who had an agenda would has told you. You don't, you know, it's too bad you don't know the agenda. It's funny how we're more lenient towards the, the people we, we love. I think the same, same with politics. We defend the person who's criticized more so in politics than we do in, in, in churches. But I think it's, first of all, you don't know the whole story. And secondly, it's a church issue. So it's none of your business. And we've lost sight of the autonomy of the church. And one of the things that concerns me is how that we think that everyone has a right to judge what is done in a church. Now, let me differentiate what is spiritual versus what is legal. Mm. And there's a differentiation. But regardless, I'm not a judge, nor am I a prosecuting attorney. So it's none of my business from the legal standpoint. I'm not the pastor and I'm not the board. So therefore, it's none of my business from a spiritual standpoint. So we got to keep our noses out of the business of what is not ours. That's not just everybody. Social media has made it impossible for justice to be done. And so everybody chimes in on their opinions based upon partial information. And it's not theirs. Someone, someone says to me, uh, what do you think? You think somebody's innocent or guilty? Someone asked my dad many, many years ago, do you think O.J. Simpson is guilty? And my dad said, I hope not. But I don't know. I don't need to know. It's not my business. We, the minute I know about someone's sin, my mind wants to formulate an opinion. I fight that all the time because I don't want to have a negative opinion. So I live under the philosophy of it's not my business. So I'm assuming innocence until somebody has proven their guilt, not because 10 people say they're guilty, but because the, the, the guilt has been proven. But then the goal should be to restore that person. Mm, that's good. It is amazing how I, I'm a chaplain at a jail and have been court hundreds of times with people. It's amazing how people make themselves the judge and the jury and the sentencing person uh, and the prosecutor. Um, it's amazing how they play all of those roles when that's not their role. I'm not the judge or the jury or the prosecutor or the defense attorney. What am I? I'm the preacher. I'm the restorer. And if we played our role and let everybody else play their role, how much better would things be instead of us having judgment and we've already made the decision and the discovery's not there? They don't know the story. There's so many parts of that case that are going to be laid out in there and things they have no idea, but they've already judged concerning the matter. Boy, how unjust is it to do that? Um, but they, what about for people who say, uh, how are you qualified to restore people? You know, I used to ask this question um, of myself. I said, what, what am I qualified to do? Until I came to the realization that I have never been qualified to do anything. We aren't chosen because we're qualified. We're chosen because God wants to use us. Um, I don't like the, 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 the word disqualified. I only see in the Bible two offices that have some type of qualifications. Now, I, I believe that God wants us to be our best, but what does it mean to be disqualified? 
disqualified. I mean, you can serve God for the rest of your life. And the only one you have to answer to for serving God for the rest of your life is the God you choose to serve, whether you do or not. I, I, I think it's important to recognize that um, none of us are qualified. Uh, you know, we, there was, he wasn't qualified before he fell and suddenly he's not qualified anymore. He wasn't qualified before, but God chose to use him. I wouldn't have chosen some of the men in the Bible that God used to do the greatest things. But sometimes we disqualify them even as God is going to take that failure and use it to build them and use them in a greater way. Peter, Jesus said, if you deny me, then I will deny my father. Now that's that's what he said to his disciples. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. He denied him three times. He wasn't disqualified by the Lord. Christ restored him. And he, we know the story. So disqualification, you might you may feel you 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 shouldn't do something, but you can always serve God. That is so true. What better person to help a fallen preacher than someone who's been there? How many people have reached out to you because they knew you wouldn't condemn them and they wouldn't reach out to somebody else? Absolutely. And 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 also because I'm not going to I'm not going to be the final authority as to what they can and can't do with their life. My job is to obey the, the command to restore. Uh, I, I have no platform that I want. I, I, I didn't want to do this podcast. Um, I, I don't have, I don't want to be in the, in the limelight. Uh, I, I could live the rest of my life in an anonymity and my enemies wish I would, uh, but they wouldn't let me because they talk about me whether I shut up or didn't, but I don't have to stand before them. See, I have to stand before God and give an account for my life. And as long as I see steam on the mirror, when I breathe into it, that means I still have a purpose for my life. And by the way, so do you. Don't, don't let anyone tell you that you don't have a purpose, whoever's listening to this. Don't let anybody tell you you're not qualified. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't serve God. Don't let anyone shame you into backing down and doing whatever you can do. You would say, well, you know, I, I, you, you may be in prison. Well, there are lost people in prison, I think, you know, they need to be saved. I don't know who could be better qualified to reach someone in prison than someone who knows the Lord and says, I'm not going to stop serving God. And I know many stories just like that. I walked into jail one day and it was a one person um, service. He was on a wreck all by himself. Couldn't let him be with anybody else. And he had done this heinous sin and he had uh, been accused of killing someone. And uh, I asked him if he did it. And he said, I guess so. Um, I don't remember. He was so high on drugs. And um, my son knew him. He worked with him at Chick-fil-A. My son said, he's a really good guy <laughs> unless he's high. And, um, and so I led him to Christ. He got saved. God forgave him. And then, okay, here's the rest of your life, what you need to do. And I taught him how to win souls. He's in prison still and believe he's still winning souls. And uh, what a big deal that is. Brother Dave, um, what if a pastor had a moral failing? Should they pastor again? I don't know. That's not my decision. I have opinions. My opinions do not supersede God's callings and what God chooses to do. I, I often say this to people. If I owned a business and my business was restoring uh, furniture that was in disrepair and you brought me a chair 
And that chair, you said to me, this chair used to be in my formal dining room. It was a very important chair. It was the head table chair. It was the chair that was at the head of the table and it was valuable and it broke. And I want you to repair it. And I said to you, well, I will repair it under one condition. You can never use it as the head table chair in your formal dining room again. Now you can use it as a chair out in your in your man cave or in your garage or in your den, but you can, that's my condition. You'd say to me, well, who are you to tell me how I can use my chair? I own the chair. You're just restoring the chair. You get it? It's not my business to tell God what he can do with someone. I might have an opinion, but I'm not going to stand between a man that God's restoring and his owner. <laughs> that, that's God. So God determines how he is going to use. I'm not going to pastor. I've made that decision because I think it's not the best thing for me to do. I like what God has called me to do. But that said, I can't tell someone else what God should do with them. I don't own them. So I restore and let God decide how he wants to use his possession. Wow. Amen. That's perfect. But boy, it's amazing how many people do just that. They play God, not just judge, jury, and executioner. They play God to tell people what they can and what they cannot do. Um, boy, that uh, I, I don't want to stand before God, give an account of trying to play God. Uh, our job, restore them and let God use them how he yeah. In In defense of those people, though, I, I understand how easy it is to become dogmatic. We, we all become, and I, and, and I don't think we mean, really realize we're doing it. I don't think that the person who says, well, you're not qualified to do something, even thought about what they were saying. Because I think if they thought what they were saying, they wouldn't say it. They would realize how wrong they are. We, we, we hate the sin so bad that sometimes we decide what the person that committed the sin is capable or able to do. I don't think we stop and think about it. It's just, it's irrational and it's not scriptural. Absolutely. Um, what do you, uh, what do you say about the people who hate you and want to hurt you and destroy you? Um, I, I don't know if you realize they're what? out there like that. <laughs> what would you say to them? Thank you. Um, thank you. Every time you do, someone finds me that needs me. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's kind of crazy, but the, the things that I don't want to go through are the things that seem to empower us to do more to help people. It seems that they find us. My enemies have exposed our ministry. And in an effort to hurt me, they've actually helped others. I don't like it. I'd rather be another way. But I, I'm not. Look, I don't I don't lash back. I don't, there's nobody I hate. There's nobody I want to hurt. Um, I, I don't, I wish everybody knew, knew my heart. I wish that I knew their heart. Um, and I wish we had mercy and compassion. That's not going to happen. I understand that, but God has a way of taking the worst things that happen to us and allowing us to use them to help others. And, and it, it's inevitable. 
So Dave, um, as we close this podcast down, um, I've tried to get you to do this for a long time. Hey, Dave, let's do a podcast and talk about restoration, restoring people. Um, why now? Why, uh, why are you allowing us to do this now? I'm, uh, believe it or not, folks, I'm 68 years old. And um, how old? I, I, <laughs> 68. And uh, I look at my life and I realize that it won't be that long that I'll be uh, seeing my Lord. And I don't want to waste a minute. I, I don't want to waste my life. I want God to use me. Do I, do I enjoy the backlash? No, nobody does. Do I feel it's unfair? I, I don't even like the word fair. I don't think anybody understands that word. We have all been hurt. There are things I've never shared with anybody that were done to me years ago. I don't share uh, because I want, I don't, I, I want to help people. I don't want to spend my life as a, as, as a person who uh, blames other people for my difficulties. Uh, I am a sinner. I know that I have failed the Lord. And I know that if, if you'd let me, I want to tell a quick story. I, sure. There was a great radio um, uh, sportscaster in Dallas. And um, I didn't listen to sports a lot, but one day I, I just, the Lord wanted me to hear this particular show. And uh, they, he, he was telling the story of how he decided to run in the Ironman competition. You, you run for, multiple, multiple miles. You swim for multiple, multiple miles. You ride a bike for more. And this is not one of those, a couple of miles. This is grueling. It takes like 15, 16, 18 hours. And he decided to enter it. And uh, he, he told the whole experience and I won't go into all of his details, but he said he quit and he would get back up and run. He said, I stopped and threw up. He said, I got I blisters. He said, it was awful. He says, the hardest thing I ever did. He said, and then I finally decided I got to finish. And when I finished, I was so far back behind everyone else. He said that nobody was even waiting at the finish line anymore. I didn't think. He said, but when I got to the finish line, he said, out of nowhere, I heard a voice that called my name and said, you are an Iron Man. You see, he said, you're not an Iron Man because you win. You're an Iron Man because you finish. And I got to finish. And so I decided it's, there are too many people that I could help, but I can't if they don't know we're here. And there's too many people I can help, but they, they, I can't if they don't hear the message of restoration. So for the few that might get the idea that we need to restore, I'll accept the hate and the anger and the, ridicule of the others but i had the 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 end had to had to become bigger than me to me than the 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 just the, to justify what i'm doing than the fear of what the enemy might say and i'm not afraid i mean fear is not even the right word it's just not comfortable like, hey, what can they do to me? You know, <laughs> so um, so if people would like information, they would like help. Uh, what's the website? Um, what's the email? And what can we do to help them right now? We're redoing our website at this point. Um, it's called fallingingrace.com. Um, you go there. It's a beginnings 
spot, but we will be redoing it, revamping it. But uh, we have a program though, they're called Mercy for Me, which is a, a study, a 36 day study of Psalm 51. I call it David's Prayer of Repentance. Um, and you could get that, you could watch it. There's a video, I think it's also in written form. Uh, many new things are coming. As I mentioned, we're doing seminars. If you want to email me, my email address is falleningrace54 at gmail. That's fallen, F-A-L-L-E-N, N-I-N, grace, at uh, 54 at gmail.com. And that's my email address, and you can reach us there. So um, we, we're here to help, train, teach, encourage, uh, even as we've been doing this uh, this broadcast Literally 10 minutes ago, I got a, a text from a preacher who said, my marriage is about to fall apart. Would you help me? And of course, as soon as this ends, I get on the phone and I reach out to him and we'll do what we can. So we want to help as many people as we can. And so it's fallen, F-A-L-L-E-N, in grace.com. And the email is falleningrace54 at gmail.com. And if you would like to email the podcast and let me know how much this helps you and encourage you, um, you can email the fundamental Baptist podcast at gmail.com. If you want to let me know what a horrible, despicable person I am, uh, just tell the Lord. <laughs> just kidding. Um, so Dave, training others, you mentioned that earlier. Um, um, so what if someone was interested in that, in being a part of these training? Could they just email you, put them on a mailing list, let them know when that's coming up? How would they do that? Yeah, just email. Um, and, and we'd love to have you come. We have a facility here. It's a beautiful place uh, way out in the country. We have um, we have a couple of tiny houses. We have uh, several suites and uh, you're safe. I mean, I've had people come here that they thought the world had come to an end and uh, they, they got here. And, and our prayer was there would be a place when they pulled up on the property, they could say it's going to be OK. And that's what people say. It's going to be OK. Um, when we were leaving to say, when we were leaving to come here, my mother prayed for us and she wrapped her arms around my wife and I, and she prayed for us. And she said, put your angels, surround them with your angels to protect them. So we know there are angels around this property and they will keep you safe and will minister to you. So if you want to learn how to be restored, how to re be restored or how to restore, just reach out to us. And if you know someone needs to be restored, reach out to us. And you may think you know about restoration, but, but Pastor Baker will tell you this. You don't know restoration until you've been in the business of restoration. And then you really learn it. So I think it, it, these seminars and workshops could be a blessing and a help. Amen. And I talked to pastors that oh, said, oh, yeah, yeah, our people, well, they're, they're trained. I train them. I taught them. I preach a sermon on restoration. And then they had a situation come up and they totally, totally, um, unbiblically, that just totally handled it the wrong way. And uh, we see that all the time because um, people are not, they do not know biblically how to do this. So uh, exciting to be able to help people with it and look forward to the future. Um, Dave, how many people do you think have, have, I don't know if you keep up with this, have stayed the night there, had a meal there? in the, the years uh, at the Red Barn. How many, how, do, you, do you have a number or a guess uh, of that? Probably, it's, it's been in the dozens, but I don't, we've really not kept a record. I mean, um, we've been pretty much busy. Uh, strangely enough, we probably were busier in 2020, the heat of the COVID than we were the year before that. 
um, more people came to see us. And it seemed like every week we were helping people. So I can't put a number. We've had people stay here for weeks. We've had people stay here for days. We've had people come and spend a day here and, and we've tried to help them. So I, I have no way of putting a number. It's in the, it, it's dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. Amen. It is a safe place. And uh, Miss Brenda will sure make you feel welcome and, and the food and fellowship and, and things. Like that. How many years has she put up with you, Brother Dave? It's been almost 37 years. And um, we, we just love what we do. Uh, she God put this on her heart before she before he did mine. When I when I one day God laid on my heart to have a place to help people like this, and my uh, I went to my wife and told her, and she said, "Well, the Lord told me that to, you know about six months ago, the Lord put it on my heart, and I was waiting for Him to tell you." And uh, my wife has a heart for restoration and loves people. You know, if you if you really want to know what what we're all about, come see us, uh, Pastor. If you if you want to know if 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 this is real, you can talk to Pastor Baker. I, I he can give you names of people that could you could talk to. But my my suggestion is come here, visit us, see the ministry for yourself. Get to know my heart and my, the heart of my wife. Um, let the Holy Spirit tell you, not the internet. Amen. You know, sometimes we form our opinions not based on the Holy Spirit, because we don't let Him bear witness. We already made our judgment based upon what people say about someone. And that's a tragedy. I don't want to do that to you. Amen. I hope you'll give us a shot. My favorite quote has been for a few years, uh, not everything you read on the internet is true by Abraham Lincoln. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the irony yeah. of that, I think, says it all. <laughs> so but anyway, thank you for being willing to put yourself out there. And uh, it would be easy just to live a life of anonymity and make money and uh, serve yourself, but to put yourself out there to be willing to help people and restore people. And uh, I think in a unique position that nobody else can, uh, the way God has used you to do that. So thank you for being willing to do that and to do this. And hopefully by this podcast and others will be able to help more people. So uh, any closing words before we uh, end this one? No, thank you for the opportunity to uh, share this. And I trust it'll be uh, an opportunity for someone to be helped, perhaps many someones. Amen. All right. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com.